and uh, yeah, it's great to be uh, together this morning. I know we've got a lot of people this morning that are running in the Lincoln Marathon, and I was just thinking, you know, while they're all out, you know, running all those miles, we should order donuts in their honor, you know, and just <laughs> kind of gotten it started here, but... Well, hey, I want to tell you about three things um, that have been significant in just the last week in the life of our church and things that you might not know about but want you to feel fully a part of because you are such a big part of them in different ways. Um, First and most recent, on Friday night, we had an event right here for our middle school students and uh, how fun it is uh, to be a church that cares deeply about the next generation and um, I love that about this church. Um, And then as Brad mentioned on Tuesday night, you know, we had this great event Um, For so many women, it's so fun to hear and to hear the stories about how people are taking significant steps on their spiritual journey. And so just a huge thank you to all of you, to our many volunteers that helped pull that off, to Becky and her phenomenal team. And uh, it's just so worth it, you know, when we get to see God moving in the lives of people, helping them find and follow Jesus Christ. And uh, it's just a, a blast. And then on Tuesday evening, then late that evening, our Zambia team returned. And I just want you to have this picture in your mind. Imagine 15 Zambian pastors stepping foot in their churches this morning with more joy, maybe more confidence than maybe they've ever had before because they've been equipped well-equipped, and you were a part of that. That team went over there and blessed um, these Zambian pastors, and what a cool thing it is uh, to think about. And then on top of that, to think of 200 orphans that had the week of their lives. You know, there's a couple of them. You know, those are the Ziplocs for Zambia you guys provided. And uh, anyway, we just celebrate what God is doing in our midst, and the fact that we get to be a, a part of it. It's, it's awesome. Well, this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting a new series. The series is called Foreshadow, and uh, this series is uh, it's three parts, and it's going to take us into two Old Testament books, the book of Hosea and then the book of Isaiah. And what I love about this series is it's going to draw out three characteristics of who God is and how those are exemplified then in the life of Jesus Christ. It's going to foreshadow. We're going to look at the Old Testament and we're going to see some pictures, some illustrations that point us to the New Testament, that point us to the life of Jesus Christ and things that he would exemplify and that those things and how they um, apply directly to you and I. The thing that I'm most excited about this series is I think it's going to paint in your mind a picture of who God is. And if you're newer to church, that might be a brand new picture for you. That's awesome. I think this morning is going to be helpful for you on that front as we look at the book of Hosea. And then the next two weeks, we're going to do that again. And I think you're going to be able to walk away with a brilliantly picture, brilliantly painted picture of who God is and how God loves, particularly this morning. So would you pray with me, and then we'll dive in uh, to this series. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you that we get to come to this place, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing locally. Thank you for what you do in our student ministries, our next generation ministries. Thank you for what you do throughout the the rest of the church, Lord, during the week. And then we think about the things that you are doing abroad. Lord, we're so thankful we get to be a part of that. Lord, we pray that more and more people would be finding and following you and that the name of God would be made great, Lord. Um, Lord, we now kind of turn our attention to this series and the book of Hosea this morning. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us. Lord, might your Holy Spirit have a word for us today. Lord, we thank you that you know us by name here today and you care deeply for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, you've heard the statement before, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? You've heard that statement before. This picture here is worth a thousand words to me. This, is a, this picture is very special to me. I actually have it in my office. I see it almost every time I walk out of my office it's on a shelf right there. It's, and it's important to me because of this. This is my dad, and this is uh, my oldest son, Aiden. This picture was taken on uh, July 3rd, 2010, and um, the reason why it's so special to me is because of the look on both of their face. My dad, just that look alone, what he's saying by looking like that is this. He's saying, I'm so proud that I'm standing here with my little grandson, you know, he's like four years old. I'm so proud I get to have this moment. And then this look on Aiden's face, it's the look of, I have been so significant in helping grandpa today. I mean, I am a big part of this project, right? Everything about this picture, it's significant to me. It's, it's taken at the lake where I spent much of my time growing up. Now, to many of you, this is, this is just a picture, right? But to me, it's, it's hugely significant. To, to others, it might be a picture of an older guy. Sorry, sorry Dad, watching online. But, but, and then a, a younger boy. But to me, it's really significant. Let me ask you, do you have any pictures like that? Do you have any memories, maybe even just mental images like that? They're so significant to you. Uh, Christina has this picture of her grandmother, sits on, grandmother that sits on our counter. She's passed away. And, and that picture, small you know, picture, it's really significant to her. The thing that I love about where we're going this morning in the book of, book of Hosea is this. We're going to see such a significant picture painted of who God is. It's a picture that you'll be able to walk away from and you'll go, wow, maybe I haven't thought about God like that before. Or maybe, maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you would say, oh, it was like a breath of fresh air. I was reminded this morning of exactly who God is. And the picture that we have of him, I think for you, it will be renewed. It's so important. The picture that you have of God is so important because it plays directly into your relationship with God. Imagine for a second that I gave you an empty canvas this morning a white canvas, and then I gave you a paintbrush, and then I gave you a palette with just endless colors, and this was your assignment. I said, go ahead and paint a picture, anything that comes to mind when you think of who God is. What would you paint on that empty canvas? What comes to mind quickly? What colors would you use? Now, if you're anything like me and you have my artistic ability, I would take a pass on that assignment because I love God, right, and I wouldn't want to paint that, but let's say you were artistic, Let's say you were and you could paint well. What would you paint? The picture that you and I have of God, it is so important in how it shapes our relationship with God. And the reason why I love the scripture that we're looking at this morning is because it's going to inform, it's going to brilliantly paint this picture of God. This morning we're going to be looking at the book of Hosea. And in the book of Hosea, what we're going to see is that there was a people a group of people that they had turned away from God. They had gone astray. They had turned their back on God. They knew who God was, but they were walking away from him, blatantly walking away from him. But what we'll see this morning is that in the book of Hosea, God relentlessly pursues them. God doesn't give up on them or wash his hands of them, but he relentlessly keeps going and pursuing after them. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a person that never gave up on you? Ever had somebody in your life, and no matter how you acted, maybe, no matter how you bis- misbehaved, or however you threw a wrench in the relationship, they still seemed to pursue you. They felt something so significant about you that they just weren't able to walk away from the relationship. 
We're going to see a picture like that this morning. And here's the main point. Here's the takeaway. In spite of how we act, and we're going to unpack how are they acting in the time of Hosea, in spite of how we act, God's love is unstoppable. In spite of how we act, in spite of how we behave, there's something about the love of God that's relentless. It's unstoppable. If you dig into the content of the book of Hosea, you're going to find that the magnitude of what it is foreshadowing, the picture that it's pointing to, the future picture, who Jesus Christ is and how Jesus Christ loves, what you see in Hosea, it's not just a hint of a foreshadow. It is like this huge neon sign saying, oh, this is so important. This picture that I'm going to paint for you of who Jesus is, it is brilliant as it should be. So before we get to the book of Hosea, though, I want to tell you a couple things that I think will be helpful in your understanding of this book and of the passages we'll look at this morning. The first thing to know is this. Hosea is one of the 12 minor prophets. Now, they called them the minor prophets, not because of the content of their message, um, but because of the length of the, their books. So the book of Hosea, for instance, is not as long as the book of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. Um, we know this, too, about the, the book of Hosea. When Hosea steps onto the scene, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. Now, the southern kingdom was doing pretty well with God, but the northern kingdom was in disarray, particularly religiously. They knew about God, but they didn't have time for him. They knew who God was, but they didn't even want to engage with God. Politically, they had gone through king after king. Economically, they were doing well. But on the spiritual front, they were in disarray. And at the time when Hosea steps onto the scene, they're being ruled by this wicked king. His name is Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was a wicked man, and he led in a wicked way. And at the time when the, the northern kingdom, when Hosea steps onto the scene, it, there, there's lots of things that are happening that you would just go, oh, like they were worshiping the, the different gods of Baal. And one of the things that they would do is child sacrifice in the midst of that. I mean, you'd stand back and you'd go, oh. And so in the midst of that, Hosea gets called in, and he gets called in to do something that would have seemed just crazy to him. A prophet was someone who would speak for God. And God, we're going to see, gives Hosea an assignment that would have been anything but easy. It was incredibly difficult. As a matter of fact, I think you would have looked at it and you would have thought, wow, that's a crazy thing, actually, that God was asking Hosea to do. And so here's what it says in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. It says this. It says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Now imagine what is happening here. God is calling this man of God, and he's saying, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to marry a promiscuous woman. Now, just think of the headlines for a second. Here we've got this, the prophet of God, right? Hosea, imagine the headlines. He's the lonely prophet, and now he's joining ranks with rebellious Israel, and he's dot, 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 all caps, he marries a prostitute, it would not have been easy for Hosea. This would have been no small thing. Imagine the conversation when he called home and he said, hey, mom and dad, I just want you to know I'm, I'm getting married. 
And they said, well, we're so excited for you. You should be more excited. There should be more excitement in your voice. Who are you marrying? Are you marrying that sweet girl from your, from your little Bible study? No, 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 I'm not marrying her, someone else. And then, you know, then mom, you know, maybe piped up and she said, well, well, tell us about her. I mean, what is she like? What, did, what does she do? How did you meet? You know, and Jose is like, well, how did we meet? Uh, well, God kind of lined it up, right? What does she do? Let me chew on that, Ma. Uh, she's, she's self-employed, you could say, right? She is in the entertainment business. I mean, what do you say if you're Hosea? Imagine this. This was no small thing. But what God was wanting to communicate through this example to you and to me is so significant. I mean, think about this, though. Getting married is a big deal. I know some of you who are planning a wedding right now, and there's a lot to it, isn't there? But what's the biggest thing? What's the most important part of planning a wedding? It's who you marry. Do you think that Hosea ever had a conversation with God and he said, Lord, as a prophet, as a man who's seeking hard after you, Lord, I just want you to know that one day I hope to enter into the lasting covenant of marriage as I understand it, and I want to do that with a promiscuous, unfaithful woman. Lord, that's my dream. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Hosea is in a tough spot. Let me ask you, has God ever asked you to do something that you really didn't want to do? Has God ever asked you to do something and you thought to yourself, I hear you, but I think he'd be better. She could do that really well, right? Have you ever had that feeling? I wonder what was going through the mind of Hosea. But look at how he responds. Verse 3 says this. So Hosea, what's he do? He obeys God and he married Gomer. Now let's just say what you're thinking, right? Let's just talk about it, huh? If you're an expectant mother here today, you're really happy you came to church because you've been searching for that name for your child. <laughs> and you just found it, right? Lindsay up here, I bet you she was going, boom, that's it. That's the one, right? Or maybe you're thinking about this guy here. Remember him? Shazam! Remember that guy? Gomer Pyle. I remember watching him growing up, right? This is a tough deal, right, for Hosea. Now, if you fast forward and keep going through the text, we know that things actually go from bad to worse because the text says that Gomer conceives a child. And the first child, it's pretty clear in the scriptures, it's from Hosea. But the next two children, based on where things kind of go in chapter 3, it's up for debate with, with who those children came from. Because we know this about Gomer. Gomer had a past. And her past kind of creeped into the present. And what we'll see is that Gomer becomes unfaithful. And she leaves her husband, who's faithful to her. And she leaves her children. She leaves her family. Her, her past kind of creeped right into her present. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had that moment where it happened to me this week? And I just had this little moment of anger. And I just thought, oh, I thought I, thought I was making progress on that. You ever had a time where your past creeps into your present? Maybe for you it's an addiction. Maybe for you, you just go, man, there's this habit that I just long to break, but I just can't quite get my arms around it. And, and every once in a while, you know, you're walking with God, but every once in a while, it just creeps in and it kind of rears its head. That's what's happening with Gomer. She has a past and it's creeping right into her life. As you read through the story, though, it is so important that you keep in mind what God is wanting to communicate through this story of Hosea and Gomer. 
When you think of Hosea, think how it's going to illustrate. Think Hosea, think that's how God, that's who God is. And when you think Gomer, think she's representing the people of God. And so you, as you watch those two interact, as you watch Gomer go off and do her own thing and give God the hand, and then as you watch um, Hosea be faithful, think about God. That's what it's foreshadowing. That's this picture. And what we're going to find over and over again this morning is this. In spite of you, and in spite of how you act, and in spite of who I am on my darkest day, the love of God is unstoppable. It never relents. You might be here this morning, and maybe your sin is heavy on you today. Remember, I think you're going to find joy in this text today, because God meets us right where we are. So it says this in in, in verse 2. This is the picture that we get of, of how the nation is doing. It says, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And what the text is saying there is that Israel has given God the hand. Israel has said, Lord, we know who you are. We're actually a very religious people, but we don't have time for you. Lord, we put you on the back shelf. And so what we see, if we read through the rest of this book, you see a very good look at what these people were up to. What were the things that God called them out for? So I want to show you just a few of these. These are from chapter 4 and then chapter 7. It says this in the text. It says this is the people. This is what they're doing. There is no, uh, there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing and lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, meaning they're just living however they want to that day. And bloodshed follows bloodshed. And then it says this in chapter 7. It says, woe to them because they have strayed from me. And you'll notice as we go through this text and as we get then into chapter 3 that there's two things that are being symbolized over and over again. One is this marriage, right? A covenant relationship. And the other is this parent-child relationship. It'll toggle kind of between the two. Destruction to them because they have rebelled against me. But then here it is. This is the other side. I long to redeem them. But they speak about me falsely. Verse 14. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but wail on their beds. They slash themselves, appealing to their gods for grain and new wine, but they turn away from me. What it's doing is this. It's painting this picture. They're even self-mutilating themselves as they're pursuing these different uh, different gods of Baal. He's saying, oh, it's detestable. But in the midst of that, he says, but I long to redeem them. When you keep going and get to, we get to chapter 3, and as we kind of track through the book of Hosea, kind of backtracking a little bit now. And what we see in chapter 3 is this picture of God that's incredible. Between chapter 1 and chapter 3, some things have happened, though, in the life of Gomer. Gomer's gone from being a faithful wife to Hosea to being the mother of at least one of his children, to being a woman that she's gone off now with this, in this adulterous relationship, but the relationship hasn't gone well. Have you ever not followed God and then you felt the pain for that? That's exactly where we find Gomer in chapter 3, because now Gomer's been enslaved. Now Gomer finds herself and, and she has been actually sold. There was, you know, she was kind of at the, at the end of all, you know, ends for herself. So she sells herself into slavery. And so we read this then in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, 
the Lord said to me, so now the Lord is speaking to Hosea, go and show your love to your wife, keyword, again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. It's so important. And though they turn to the other gods and love the sacred ravens and cakes. So what he's saying is this. This is so important. He says, go, Hosea, and I want you to show your, lo- your love to your wife again. Hosea, though you've been humiliated, though you've been frustrated, though this woman has left you and she's been unfaithful to you, Hosea, I want you to go, and I think this is such a key word, again. Because my hunch is this, after that first child was born, I bet you maybe Gomer came to Hosea and said, you know, I'm just not feeling it, like me and you. Like, I just wonder if you would be better if I left and, I, you know, the whole thing. And, but I, I would imagine in that moment, Jose said, no, 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 it's okay, I'm committed to you. Like, you might not always, like, like each other, but I love you. Like, we're committed, we're in a covenant of marriage. But then she goes off and she's adulterous uh, to him. And then what does the Lord say, though? The Lord says, hey, no, 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 I want you to go back to your wife again. I want you to to be with you. I want you to stick with her. It's this picture of faithfulness. And then it says this. So what does Hosea do? It says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and lekek of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any, with any man, and I will behave the same way. Notice that he says, I bought her. That's so important in the text. We know this from the book of Leviticus, that a slave could be purchased for about 30 shekels. And so what does Hosea do? Hosea is able to produce 15 silver shekels, and then he gets the rest of the money from this barley that he sells. Many scholars believe that Hosea spent everything he had to get her back. Think about Jesus Christ. Think about the scorn that Jesus felt. When it says you you should love, I go back and, and love Gomer Again, think about the scorn and the shame and how people spit in the face of Jesus. And then think about this. If it's true that Hosea, he spent everything he had, what were the last, some of the last words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross? He said, it is finished. To tell us die. Now, if you had a legal debt, right, in the New Testament times, and you paid that debt, and you actually paid your debt off, what they would write over the top of that debt, they would write that word, tetelestai, meaning this, paid in full. Hosea, he's representing this fact that I, I, I bought her back, I paid in full. What did Jesus Christ do for you on the cross? He said, tetelestai, it is finished, paid in full. You're fully redeemed. And then it says this in verse 4. It says, For the Israelites will live many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. And afterwards, the Israelites will return and they will seek the Lord their God and David their king. It's this picture that Hosea is painting. It's what's going to happen. And it's that Israel is going to, to come back. But the picture that you can't miss this morning is that in the midst of their rebellion, the love of God never stops. It's unstoppable. Yes, they will return. But why can they return? Why can they return? What can they return to? 
they can return to the love of God because it never ends. It's this picture that we get. It's beautiful that God is completely faithful, that no matter how often or how deep your past creeps into your present, God doesn't say to you, when you get it together, we'll talk. God says, no, I love you. I am faithful to you. You know, maybe you're here today and you would say, wow, I'm in a mess. Know this this morning. God is not saying to you, let's talk when you go outside here out of this building and get it cleaned up and make it right. Should you do that? Yes. But your God's love, it meets you right where you're at. Now you fast forward in this book and to chapter 11, and we see such a powerful picture of the love of God. Talk about brilliantly painting the picture. This is it when you get to chapter 11. It's like watching God speak directly to his most prized possession. In a lot of ways, it's like watching this husband speaking to his wife or this father speaking to a child. And so it says this then in uh, chapter 11. It says, when Israel was a child... I loved him. Think of the heart of God here. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more that they were called, the more they went away from me, breaking the heart. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned, uh, they burned incense uh, to images. And then it says this, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. I mean, imagine that picture. It says, father to a child. And they did not realize that it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness and with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. See the picture there? And I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? Will, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? My people are determined to turn away from me. See, breaking the heart of God. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. And then here's the turn. How can I give up? How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? Verse 8. How can I treat you like uh, Adma? And how can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not cry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. What he's saying is this. I'm not like man who might just say, I give up. You've been an unfaithful nation. You've given me the hand. Instead, God says, no, no, no. I'm not like a man. I am God. My love, it is unstoppable. In spite of how you act, my love will not stop relenting. It's relentless. It's unstoppable. I love that it's like this, you can just see this parent-child um, relationship. You can just see this faithful husband to this wife who's gone astray, representing what do you and I do? There are times we turn our back, we walk away. Maybe this morning you would say, you know what, I'm, I've had my own little Gomer moments. I've had those moments when maybe I've just really blown it, or maybe, maybe you'd say this morning, I'm not like 50 steps away from God, but there was a time when my passion and my zeal for God, it was maybe at a different tone than it is now. And you maybe say, I just took a couple steps back. I believe God says to you this morning, look at this brilliant picture of who I am and leave this place today and say, I am zealous for you, God. 
And what's so great is that God does not say, I want you to figure it out first, and then you can come to me. He says, no, 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 I don't wait for you to get through the mess. I'll meet you right in the mess. I love how the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 5. He said this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. And then it says this in verse 7, or verse 8, but God, what does he do? He demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once you were perfect, but it says, Christ, what did he do? He came for people like you and I, who at certain points, our past creeps right into our present. I came for sinners. Christ died for those that don't have it all figured out. What a beautiful picture. I had a dream the other night. It was actually more like a nightmare. And you know those times? And um, I was at a sporting uh, arena, and I was with our three kids. It was just me and the three kids, and it's just a dream. And uh, so we're walking through the corridor of this large sporting facility. You know what it's like when you're just when you're just packed. I mean, there was just wall-to-wall people trying to get around the bowl of this huge auditorium to get to their to get to their seats, right? And so in the midst of that, we kept walking and I had the three kids and they were kind of following me like three little ducks and and we kept going, but all of a sudden I realized that our youngest son was not a part of the pack. You know the feeling? And there's a little bit of a difference, isn't there, when you lose a child at Menards or two, not that I did that last week, but (laughs) it's a different feeling when you're in the midst of thousands and thousands of people, and they can't just get on the friendly intercom and try to woo your children up to the front to meet you. But it's different when you're in just the midst of thousands and thousands of people, and I had just this horrible feeling come over me. And so in the dream, I go and I get to the authorities and, and I, I say to them, people in charge, I said, hey, I've lost my son, little kid, five years old, blonde hair, you gotta, can, can you help me? You know, and, and, and sure enough, they said, yeah, we, sure we can help you. And then this was the worst part of the dream. They took me to a back room, this little office area, and they said, you need to stay here. Everything's being taken care of, but you need to stay right here while we look for him. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm very highly motivated right now. My wife is going to kill me, right? And I, was, I, was, I told him, I said, no, 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 I got to go. I can cover so much ground in so little time. You don't understand. And they said, no, 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 it'd actually be more helpful if you stay here because we might need you. I'm like, for what, you know? And so I woke up from this dream, and I'm like, oh, I'm just so stressed out. And I realized, oh, it's just a dream, you know? But what a feeling. And here's the picture that I want you to have in your mind this morning. God is not stuck in some little back closet. And God's love for you is not on hold. God's love searches for you. It is not trapped away anywhere. It is crazy for you. It's unstoppable. And God's love doesn't say to you, hey, when, you know, you shouldn't have wandered off. Finally, you're back. No, no, no. God's love is relentless, and he pursues you, and he longs to be in relationship with you. I love how the Apostle Paul put it. He tried to paint this picture in the mind of his audience, and he said this in in the book of Romans. He said this. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Say this next, next two words with me. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Say it again with me, those two words. No one, no one can separate you from the love of God. And then Paul, I think he just gets going now. He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He says this, this is so important. No, in all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything in all else in all of creation, here it is, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wanted to make it crystal clear, there is no one and there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The love of God, it is relentless. When we look at the book of Hosea, we should get this picture in our mind that, oh, Hosea, what did he do? He went out and he pursued this woman who was unfaithful. Why? Because of his love. And it foreshadows, okay, how does God look at us? Jesus Christ stepped right into the middle of it. There was nothing that could stop him. Nothing. I love how Paul says this then. He says this in, in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want to end by just praying these words over us today. But I want to ask you this question um, before we go there. I kept asking myself this question this week, and, and, and here it is. I asked myself this question. I said, why would anyone refuse the love of God? Why would anyone spurn the love of God? Why would, why would anyone not accept the grace of God? And here's the thing. There are a lot of reasons given to a question like that, but there are no good answers. And so I just want to ask you this morning, when you kind of come to that fork in the road and you hear, and it's true coming straight out of Scripture, you've got a God who says to you, I love you with an unstoppable love. I think the driving question for us this morning is this, will I be found? Will I accept that incredible love of God? Or maybe you'd say, wow, I've just strayed a little bit. This morning, would your picture of God, would it be so good and so brilliantly painted that you would say, God, I'm all in for you because it's so clear, Lord, you were all in for me. In Ephesians chapter 3, the apostle Paul, he wanted his audience to understand the kind of love that God extends to you and I. And so here's what I want to do. I want to pray for us. And I just want to read these words over you um, as we pray. So let's, let's do that. Let's bow our heads and pray. And and let's, let me read this text over you. This is what Paul prayed for his audience. He said this. He said, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Lord, we just pray this morning that, Lord, if we have any doubt, any question, 
about the kind of love you extend. God, I pray that you'd clear that up in our hearts today. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to be the kind of people, Lord, that we step right into the middle and we seek you, Lord. And Lord, we know with such confidence, Lord, you don't wait for us to get cleaned up, but you say to us this morning, I love you. I died for you. I went through it all for you. Nothing stopped me. And so if that's you this morning, make this your day where you say, I accept the grace of God. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we've got the privilege of um, being able to celebrate communion together. And um, if you're newer to church, what communion is, is communion is a way for us really to remember the fact that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed when he went to the cross to pay for the sin of you and I. And so it's something that we actually take fairly regularly as a church, and we do that because it's a, it's a big deal. It's a celebration for us. It's a, it's a way for us to remember, to kind of have this holy moment as a church and to say, what a big deal. Lord, your love was so strong, you would die for us, and you would, your body would be broken, your blood would be shed for us. And so... Uh, the elements are going to be passed out now, and um, uh, make sure you grab down and, and grab two cups, and, uh, and then I'll come back up and we'll take them together. And I would encourage you, though, as, as the elements are going out and we sing, I would encourage you, just contemplate this morning the love of God. It's unstoppable. It's this picture of this faithful husband, this unfaithful wife, unfaithful people, but this God who remains consistent. Maybe your heart this morning just overflows with joy. Or maybe this morning is the first time where you say, that love, I want it. What if real love was for you? It is. What if you grab that this morning? So, so yeah, let's do that as we sing.